Hello to all our dedicated listeners and subscribers. I am the producer of Navigating Life as We Know It, and I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast and for sticking with us as we have been struggling to find a new normal for our program that would help us to continue to provide quality episodes without burning out our team members. Going forward, we will be releasing an episode every two weeks, giving us a little more time to make sure our episodes are done right. Now, I'll pass the torch over to Steve. Hi, this is Steve. Welcome to Navigating Life as We Know It. This is a podcast series about celebrating ability, embracing diversity, and living inclusively. And I'm here with my lovely and talented co-host, Carrie Johnson. Hello. Today we have a different format. We have two different interviews in one. One of them is with an attorney and one of them is with a coach. And the theme of this episode is creating a collaborative trust. This is something that an attorney is not probably going to recommend to you or suggest. Or may not even be aware of. We're going to share our case with you. When we set up our trust, we had the attorney put in there a provision that would allow the trustee to take funds once a year to bring together siblings. And each sibling has a different aspect of Liam's life to look after. That they're in charge of. They're kind of in charge of. And so they would all be able to grab their oars and pull in the same direction to make sure that Liam's best interests were met. Right. So they're going to come together and talk about it. And so the trustee is going to be there. The guardian is going to be there. And and other the, players. And other way. players. And they're going to be able to say, okay, you know, these are the things that are going on. They can discuss his IPOS, which is his individual plan of service. But more importantly, they're going to discuss the things how about how our ideal of maintaining Liam's connection with family and a full life and Liam's idea of a full life and how we can make that all mesh together. So we kind of codify that in the trust and we also give them the means financial ability to fund that process. Right. Without being too limiting because we want to give some flexibility there. Sure. Because you and I won't be here anymore. It's going to be all up to them. And I don't know how things are going to evolve. We're going to be in Maui, right? Yes. Okay. I just want to make sure when we're not right. there anymore. Okay. okay. Our discussion with the coach, Mark Drain, is because you might have had a situation in your family where there's disagreements about things. And the, despite the best intentions and all that they have in common, it's too hard to get past those disagreements. Mark talked about stepping into the gap. It takes somebody else to be able to teach people how they can resolve problems. And if you have individuals living together for the first time that are used to the way things were done at home with mom and dad and siblings, and now they're in a totally different environment with somebody else. And they need to utilize a skill set they may not even have yet. Yeah. So if you have a coach assisting with this coming together of people, then you've got, and I love how he said, a coach is going to give you the tools to avoid conflict resolution. And that's really it. Avoid conflict resolution right. because it avoids the conflict. Yeah. So if, if you have a coach helping the families and the individuals that are coming together into this new living situation, 
that's just all good. That's just all good. And what a unique way to look at coaching. I love that. Thank you for it finding that. And, you know, I think what we're talking about here, collaborative trust, it's also collaboration and living together. The thing, you can create legal documents, you can have money divvied up, but people have to be able to communicate with each other to get things done and get things accomplished. And it's good to have someone set up the ground rules or the rules of engagement to make sure that noses don't get bent out of joint. And the best interest of the people who these trusts are made for is served. Right. How cool. So let's get in our first conversation with Neil Jansen. Neil is an estate planning attorney with Micah Myers in Grand Rapids, Michigan, who also works in the area of special needs planning. Neil knows the ins and outs of navigating through the concerns families have about taking care of their family member and also making sure that property inherits appropriately. Our second conversation is with a business coach, Mark Drain. Now, people may wonder, what's a business coach have to do with the issues of living with disability? Well, quite frankly, many people creating housing solutions in the future may find it advantageous to work with another family or two or three families working together to own a house where their adult children would be able to live together. Now, life teaches us that sometimes even best friends don't always see eye to eye when they end up living together, and that's understandable. In the same manner, their parents or other members of the family might view conflicts within that household very differently also. The co-housing idea that sounded so great initially may sour under certain circumstances, and it's better to plan out ahead of time how to handle those conflicts or conflicts of interest. And that's what a coach can do. Mark's got extensive experience working with for-profit and non-profit organizations. And we explore some of the ideas of how coaching techniques can help families avoid problems that come up when people move in together. Neil, tell me about how you work with families that have a special needs child or adult child. Um, what When they usually come to you, what are they looking for? Um, typically, they're looking for um, options for ensuring that uh, the care and attention they've been giving that child or family member, sometimes as a sibling, uh, will continue in the future if they're not around to uh, make sure that their needs are met. So they're worried about the future for their child or sibling or loved one and want to find options for ensuring that, that those needs are taken care of. And some of those needs uh, actually would be uh, involved with the financial aspects of the child because of Medicaid laws, which require near impoverishment to qualify for benefits. And what happens, of course, when mom and dad die and assets are inherited by a individual with disabilities, uh, that could... Um, impair their qualification for Medicaid benefits because of the asset limitations? Precisely. So we're looking for ways to continue to fund things other than the basic needs that are covered by governmental assistance that make life um, more interesting to live. And we usually recommend that they uh, explore special needs trusts, either uh, setting up uh, an individual 
trust for that person, their loved one, or uh, modifying an existing trust that they may have that provides for their entire estate plan to include special needs language for the benefit of their special needs child. Um, that way, the trust E is instructed to use those funds for the benefit of the child in a way that does not interfere with or disqualify them from the uh, benefits they're receiving or hope to receive down the road. And do you find uh, sometimes there's questions about who's receiving what? You've got a child with special needs and you've got four that don't have special needs. Um, does the trust somehow help define uh, how things are left to the next generation? Right, certainly. The, the Each family makes that choice differently. Some families uh, just make a, uh, an equal distribution to all of their children uh, with the share going to the special needs child retained in trust for their benefit the remainder of their life, uh, while the other shares for the children who don't need that protection would just be distributed outright to them. Other families, and, and even it may start out that way, particularly when they are all their children are all minors, but later in life, if uh, they perceive that uh, there, um, some children may not have the same needs as others, they can make adjustments to that, or they can simply set up a special needs trust that's otherwise funded for the for the child. So you have situations where you may have other family members, possibly grandparents, uncles, or aunts, or cousins, or somebody else who, or just friends who want to contribute to the future needs of the special needs child, and they want to have a way to make a distribution or make a contribution that would not be uh, divided among the other children in the family. And so we can set up uh, certain accounts or shares for that child so that those family members can make those contributions as well. And when you're setting up the trust, obviously it's important to pick a trustee. Do people normally have that in mind when they come? Is it usually a sibling or is it uh, an outside entity? Um, usually it's a family member, a sibling, uh, is frequently uh, who they're looking to uh, with the anticipation that you know they'll be there for a long period of time, but that once they're gone, that the person best knows their child and their needs would be a family member, one most interested in their life. I frequently recommend that you divide those tasks up. So, for example, if the parents have petitioned the court and been appointed guardian for their special needs child, but then are going to pass that role on to another sibling later on when they're not able to fill that, fulfill that role, that they choose someone to be guardian and someone to be trustee who are different from each other. Um, it provides a check and balance in that way so that you have um, someone there, the guardian, uh, looking out for the interests of the special needs individual uh, and can also um, make sure that the person managing the funds is, is uh, fulfilling their role. And likewise, the, um, the trustee who's fulfilling the financial uh, aspects of the, of the um, of the situation can make sure that the guardian's fulfilling their role. They're both looking over each other's shoulders, and I think that's a that's a good uh, situation to have. And it could be a good idea to make sure they get along with each other. Yes, correct, <laughs> correct. Which you can't always tell in the future, but you can always make those changes as they become apparent. What other right. types of things do you do when you're working with special needs families? Well, one thing you have to uh, appreciate, or families should appreciate, is that there are two types of Generally, there's two types of special needs trusts. One is um, funded by third-party funding trust, where the parents or other individuals are putting fund, their own funds into trust for that child 
and they have greater control over what happens to those funds after the child passes away and they no longer need that support. Uh, they can direct where who is the benefit the, the remainder beneficiary of those funds if there's anything left. Mm-hmm. A self-funded trust, or something I call a D4 trust, is where you're putting funds into tr- a trust that actually belong to or intended to belong to the um, special needs individual. So, for example, maybe it's a recovery from an automobile accident they were involved in that, that gave rise to the special needs, or um, a uh, recovery that they're entitled to receive for the loss of a, of a supporting parent. Uh, maybe a, a, a recovery in that way. We that actually is an asset that belongs to the child, and it goes into what's called a self-funded special needs trust. In that situation, um, there is controls over what happens to those assets after the child passes away. So there's the Medicaid lien that would seek reimbursement first for any benefits the child received during lifetime before it. Could be the remainder can be distributed out to uh, other family members. So they, uh, it's important to appreciate the distinction between those two types of trust. And I've had I've had situations where we've set up both trusts that there will be assets contributed for the benefit of the individual into one trust, and assets belonging to that individual um, funded into the, their own trust, their own special needs trust. <clears throat> um, the a situation where you're doing a special needs trust for self-funded special needs trust requires court approval. So it requires going to the probate court, local probate court, presenting the court, uh, petitioning the court for approval of the special needs trust for that individual. Um, it's reviewed by the court. The court appoints a guardian ad litem to review the trust as well to make sure it's properly drafted. And the, uh, the trustee is appointed or approved by the court as well. And then they move forward. And the trustee, usually, could, it could be the I'm same sorry. trustee as for both trusts for the uh, third party and for the self-settled one, right? Yep, you certainly yeah. can, and usually we do that. And that way, it gives the uh, trustee the flexibility to um, use the assets from the individual's special, the individually funded special needs trust, the fir- first party special needs trust first, and to exhaust those assets first, if necessary, before turning to the third-party funded trust, which is not subject to uh, recapture by uh, the, the state entities. Seems kind of complex, but it's necessary the way things are set up today. Because if, if you don't get the word to grandma and she puts down uh, $50,000 for Billy because she always had a special feeling for her grandchild that has a disability uh, and it, it gets named to Billy, that could be a problem. But that's where that second trust comes in handy. A, a D4 trust? A D4. Or a self-funded special needs trust. Yeah. And have you worked with quite a few special needs families? I work, I would say, with two or three a year. Okay. And they come uh, both from, you know, children, uh, parent families who have minor children, and they're looking down the road anticipating that uh, this need will arise. Um, families who have... Um, a special needs child who's now turning 18, and they're starting to, to realize there are a lot of things they have to look to to the future, including appointment of a guardian for the child. And then that also involves a discussion of uh, funding a special needs provisions of a trust. And then also uh, we can get into those um, circumstances 
where um, there may not have been the wherewithal or the means or even the foresight to set up a trust by the parents, but um, later in life, the siblings or some other family members decide, hey, let's do this for our sister or our brother and set this up and we can all contribute to it for their benefit. Yes, and the more family members that are part of the conversation, the better the solutions because it doesn't come as a surprise to them later on. It's been discussed ahead of time. So, yeah, a lot of times families will set these up and then they'll let people know, grandma and grandpa know, hey, we've set up this trust. You know, if you'd like to make a a gift to um, our son or daughter, um, this would be the best way to do that for their benefit. And if for some reason that doesn't happen, and again, grandma leaves this money to Billy, um, that could be put into a to a self-funded trust. Self-funded, yeah, correct, right? I mean, it has to that has to go through the court process of of approval by the court. Um, but uh, that's so that's the only delay involved in that process. The language of the trust is very similar, other than the the uh, residual beneficiary language. With that self-funded trust, could you set that up in advance uh, without funding in it? Because I know you said it takes some time to do that through the court, but uh, as of the end of that month, they would no longer qualify for Medicaid. So right, you would. Yeah, that can be an issue. I have I have not done it as a pre-planning device. It's always come to me in a situation where here's the situation we're in. What can we do? Um, one, I guess I, I take that back. There was um, a situation we currently have in our office. It's not one I'm working on, but um, where uh, mom passed away, she left the trust. The beneficiaries of her trust were all of her children, including one of the children who is um, uh, special needs and receiving assist, governmental assistance. And so in anticipation of receiving her distribution from mother's trust, we are creating a special needs, self-funded special needs trust for her so that will receive those funds then. So that is one situation where we do try and anticipate that recovery. Well, Neil, thank you very much. appreciate this, and I'm sure that there are individuals who have not done this work yet. Some do it in advance and some do it uh, reactively, but it's good for people to understand what their options are and to, uh, and to secure professional advice in, in uh, how to set this up. So thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. It was good to talk to you, Steve. Glad I could be helpful. We've been talking with Neil Jansen, attorney with Micah Myers in Grand Rapids. You can reach Neil at 616-632-8052 or email him at njansen at micah, M-I-K-A, Myers, M-E-Y-E-R-S dot com. It's definitely an odd episode when you get to hear from me outside of the credits, and I promise not to keep you for long. But if you have any topics that you'd like us to investigate, please reach out to us at contact at inlocky.com, and we will get back to you as soon as possible. You can also engage with us on Facebook at any time. And if you're enjoying our podcast, taking the time to like us on your platform of choice, subscribing to our show, or just letting us know what you think of the program are all great ways to help us out. I told you I'd keep it short. Now back to the episode. I think all of our listeners have heard of Murphy's Law before, which says if anything can go wrong, it will. 
Well, when people get together to negotiate the terms for folks living together for the first time, new roommates, things will go wrong that weren't anticipated. And being prepared for that is solid planning. Our next guest is Mark Drain, an executive coach and someone who can be very beneficial in negotiating arrangements with other families when special needs families are working together to create housing for their loved ones. Mark, welcome to Navigating Life as We Know It. I know some of your situations for coaching would involve working through a conflict and helping people focus on the way forward. Would you do that for families who are negotiating living arrangements for young people with disabilities living together for the first time? Yeah, I can. There's all kinds of coaching. Um, I started off uh, after I'd completed all my training uh, focusing on uh, life coaching and one-on-one coaching. And it was really, my plan was to get into business coaching over three years, but it happened so much quicker. I always look on the basis, you can never remove the individual uh, from the business. So there is still a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, it's not quite, what would I say? I mean, it's certainly not, uh, it's not therapy, but uh, sometimes you can get in situations where, you know, you're really talking about maybe some personal stuff, you know, personal roadblocks or obstacles that people really need to work on in their own lives, you know, before they could move on. Uh, And then coaching in in a circumstance like that where, you're almost trying to engage with two different parties or a number of parties together. Yeah, sometimes that um, that comes about as well. Because I, I think it's important to have clear expectations, especially when there comes a conflict between the interest of one individual living in that situation and another individual. Um, you got to yeah. step back as parents and be more objective because sometimes, believe it or not, your child could be wrong. <laughs> Right. It's hard to conceptualize (laughs) that, but uh, I just think that uh, we don't have anybody currently doing that, but that's part of our model that people might just uh, buy a duplex. One might own it and rent out rooms to somebody else, but there has to be a common goal. And and, uh, I don't know who else would do that other than somebody who could coach by looking forward to the problems that could happen and the opportunities that could be there also. Yeah. I think that, you know, I think you touch on a good point there in terms of coaching. Coaching can just bring, just enable the parties involved to look at things from a different perspective um, rather than their own bubble. Um, and it may not even be making suggestions, but just drawing out of the conversation. Um, but then, you know, exploring, well, what might be the impact on the others involved rather than just having to accept what has been said. So, um, yeah, there are elements there that I think could work well with a, a, a coach, uh, you know, you know some, time of, some type of coaching. Clearly, it's not conflict resolution. It's trying to make sure that you don't get to that kind of point, <laughs> get, well, get to that stage. I, I'm just drawing the comparison in my head to a small business where you might have several actors or individuals who have uh, a, they may be marching behind one flag, but they have different objectives and different goals. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's At least a, one of my clients fits well into that, yeah. um, where family, two family members don't necessarily see eye to eye, 
um, each wanting different things for the same business and, you know, me kind of stepping in, into the gap there. And maybe get them to actually listen to each other. Uh, yeah. There are, one of the models used for families that have uh, adult children living together is it's another extension of creation of community. They, they call them uh, micro boards where the three or four families involved are all involved in each individual's planning procedures. So they know what Johnny and Susie and Mary and Tom, all what's important to them and what it takes to fulfill their life. So they're seeing what the needs are of other individuals and how they're part of that team as those other individuals are part of your team for your child. Um, I'm not suggesting that's something that you would necessarily do, but it is a form of coaching, uh, or maybe that would be yeah. something you would do. It's like a business of forming, they're forming an entity that needs to work together for a common cause. Now, that sure. sounds like a business. <laughs> there's <laughs> there's going to be more and more of that as we explore uh, alternative housing solutions. Boy, I can see all kinds of problems. I remember being on a college dorm and best friends that ended up hating each other because they didn't have any ground rules. They didn't understand what the needs and wants and the situation each one was looking for. There was a conflict that would come up and all the goodwill yeah. got spent in the first week or so. <laughs> it's important for people, if they're going to go through that level of cooperation and build that kind of an enterprise for living together, that it might be important to have someone come in and facilitate that. And so I'm, yeah. I'm thinking coaching could really fend off some disasters. Yes. Yeah. Within those small groups, not even just looking at, at it at an organizational level, yeah. but just at a, a small group level. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Mark, the name of your practice is the Exemplary Coach. Exemplary, that's a really good word. It's deserving imitation because of excellence. I can see why you'd put that in your title. And coach can mean it's a noun, it's a verb, it's a transitive verb, but it can mean a lot of things. But most people think of a coach as being a basketball coach or a football coach because it's about a physical uh, endeavor to, to be the best. I also think many people want to hear about a coach. They can think of a business coach or an executive coach, which you do on your webpage. You talk about that. But many people yeah. don't think of coaching uh, beyond um, that individual or that group team sport. And I know you have mentioned working with small nonprofits also. Is that something you've done? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there is an aspect of coaching. Uh, you could call it organization or, or business coaching that, that kind of looks behind the scenes of the individual's involved in that organization or business so looking at things like what is the mission and the vision of that entity you know whether it's an organization non-profit or for-profit or, or whatever um how are they going to uh sustain themselves is it by funding is it by support is it by sales of products services and so on the kinds of things that don't necessarily uh, impact individuals, but they are what I call the background stuff. You know, for nonprofits, that could also include things like boards of directors. You know, how do you elect them? How do you work with them? Uh, and that, you know, some of those practicalities that are needed to make the whole thing go. Uh, that's uh, that's where I uh, I think I 
come into my own. You and I were talking earlier, and I, I took, used the phrase stepping into the gap. And I think that's where um, a coach can come into their own, is stepping into that gap that other people may not necessarily recognize as being important. You know, one of, uh, one of the things that, uh, unfortunately, I think that, that happens within, particularly within nonprofit organizations early on, is that uh, any donations or monies received often go, go straight to the programs that they're offering uh, to their clients. Uh, and then uh, as a result, often nonprofits can't necessarily afford, you know, the additional resources for things like trainings, uh, education, uh, even coaching, you know, uh, and those kinds of things. Um, so often uh, I would offer uh, quite a lengthy free initial conversation um, for people, uh, whether it's somebody looking to start a nonprofit organization or even an established organization. And looking at those key things, uh, those key things that can help uh, a startup but also help an established nonprofit um, continue, uh, continue to exist. One of the things that I found uh, working with, with nonprofits is that uh, once you successfully get beyond the startup phase, you know, really it's about how do you grow into the next phases and beyond. And how successful you are can really depend on some of the systems and the processes that you've laid down in that startup phase. Um, so things like communication. How are you as an organization communicating internally and externally? Um, continued engagement, um, whether you have employees, staff, and board of directors, how are they engaging together? Things like growth strategy, development, um, and so on, because um, certainly uh, one of the uh, major ways for a nonprofit to receive its funding uh, can be through, uh, through grants, uh, for example. I know a lot of uh, those places that offer that kind of funding are, are looking at an organization, not only uh, how it is run, how it is set up, but also its longevity, its uh, sustainability, and if there is any succession planning uh, that has gone on um, with that uh, nonprofit as well. Um, I was working with one, uh, one nonprofit organization down in the Kalamazoo area. They focus on mental health issues uh, amongst, particularly amongst the African American community. Uh, and those are some of the key things that we had to look at to help them uh, achieve uh, additional funding. Um, things like the uh, longevity, the sustainability, and the, and the succession planning. And uh, those are, are key things for any organization, whether it's nonprofit or a for profit organization. Uh, those those things are still key. Especially when an organization starts out, it's on great intentions and excitement about an ideal um, that they don't necessarily look at all the things that are opportunities and obstacles. Um, it could be the same thing, depending on how you look at Absolutely. it. Absolutely. There sure. are where most of us are working in an area which we don't have any experience. You might have experience in the business world for for-profit organizations, sales, whatever. But when it comes to nonprofits, volunteers, 
performance expectations, um, the qualities and, and talents of board members and their, in, their engagement in the organization. There's a lot of things to manage there. And it's easier to make staff changes when you're paying somebody than if you have volunteers because you could drive your volunteers yes. away if you do this the wrong way. Excellent. Yep. Uh, particularly for nonprofits, I think it can be quite prevalent within the nonprofit world startups. It is the recognition, um, passion, and excitement for the project will get you only so far. Um, it is how you set that up. And there are key business models that apply to nonprofits just as much as they apply to uh, for profit organizations. And Whilst you wouldn't necessarily want to run it along business lines, there are key indicators um, that have to be taken into consideration. Um, things that you want to measure as you uh, as you go along as well. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes people can forget those things, uh, and it's just as important as having that initial vision, the passion, uh, and the energy to to recognize you know, something that could bring benefit to, to the community. Mark, I want to thank you for spending some time with us today and letting us know what you could do as a coach to help families forming partnerships and individuals with disabilities living together in a relative degree of peace and harmony. Good to talk with you, Steve. You take care. To learn more about Mark Drain and his exemplary coach, you can contact him at 616 485 1374. His website is theexemplarycoach.com. That's T-H-E-E-X-E-M-P-L-A-R-Y-C-O-A-C-H.com. His email address is mark at theexemplarycoach.com. On his website, you can click a button to book a complimentary discovery meeting to see if what Mark does might be beneficial to you. Hi, this is Carrie, and this is the Chat Cafe portion of our program. I am here today with my co-host, Steve. Hello. And we are just going to do a little bit of recap on the conversation that you, or the conversations that you just heard. Excellent. So, Steve... How did you find these fabulous people? I was in a business network group with these individuals for the benefit of Oasis Community of West Michigan to get us better known in the community and happened across Neil and Mark, uh, two remarkably great individuals, people I would trust emphatically, um, and discussions ensued about how they would work with people with disabilities. And uh, I... That's how I came across them. Very cool. Very cool. We're going to kind of start with the Neil Jan Jensen portion. Okay. All right. So some of the things that maybe some people are not aware of. We, we did our trust a long time ago because I am one of those people that prefers to plan for the worst and get the best. Okay. Okay. So I'm, I know that I'm not going to live forever. And what's going to happen then? So we have our trust, our special needs trust set, set up. So some people, things that people may not know, a special needs trust gives you options that care will continue after you're gone. 
Exactly. That's huge. But traditionally, the special needs trust sets up a trustee who has sole discretion into the use of those dollars. So you can fund all the care, but it doesn't indicate what type of care. And there's care for an individual and there's care about, about an individual. Yes, 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 yes. You can't legislate care about. That's no. the love connection. Okay? Yes. And for that requires a collaborative effort with all family members and interested parties, those people who care about that individual. Right. So that the the mother's heart that I have can continue to be shown to Liam. Yes. Even though I might not be there. Correct. Cool. That To me, that was really important. And we developed our trust in a way that um, would have some language in it that would allow some pretty good flexibility for that trustee. So, the, yeah, the trustee could fund meetings for people to get together, not necessarily in exotic places in the middle of the winter. <laughs> they can't go to Maui and, and negotiate on a beach, but they could go maybe uh, pay for uh, them, as a, go to a retreat someplace at a, at a hotel or whatever, so they can focus at that time upon Liam's needs, the past year and the year coming up, what is in his best interest. Right. And we focused it on it being family members, basically siblings, but that could be anybody. It could be a family friend. It could be a close advisor, maybe a friend of your son or daughter's with the special uh, considerations. It could be anybody that you want it to be, and you can put that flexibility into the trust so those names could change after you're gone. Exactly. So you don't want to necessarily name names in this document. No. Right. So you got to keep it open for flexibility and i don't know what's going to happen in the future new stuff might come up and we don't have to pay for trips because they'll just transport themselves hither and yon there you and go. so it's just a matter of gathering these folks to transport I'll meet them. you on the beach right. right the other piece about a trust that i thought was important to note is that when a trust is set up, that allows other family members to contribute to the trust so that it won't remove or jeopardize the state benefits that the special needs Absolutely. person is the, the, already receiving. What's a good practice is to get the, um, the name of the trust and the number account on the trust and, and circulate that to family members and say, we're not asking for anything, but in case you are thinking about including... Billy, in your will, uh, we we would like that money to go into this particular account because it's, it'll be protected for him, and and, and his lifestyle will not be right reduced because of it's the best or way, his benefits. The best way say. to leave him money would be into this trust, right, or assets. And then I thought that the the differences between the trust that Neil covered that very well, mm-hmm. and. Uh, if anybody has any questions about trust, please give Neil a call. He's a great man, and he uh, knows his stuff quite well, and he's a very, very honorable individual. And I know it's a scary thing to think about and to say, I'm going to do this document because now I'm talking about my mortality. But I actually found it to be very liberating because I don't have this worry about what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. Exactly. Do not go skydiving without a trust set up already. Okay. <laughs> Definitely. Just, just make sure. 
<laughs> if anything can go wrong, it will. Oh. All right. Well, thank you. On that note, let's move on to life coaching with life Mark. Life coaching with Mark Drain. What a cool thing. All right. First of all, I have to say, how cool to consider coaching when you're talking about bringing families together to build a, an environment for them to live together. Pe- yes. Yeah. For people living together. Because this is a whole different dynamics, baby. This is yeah. a whole different dynamics. First of all, you got mama and papa who got to let go of that kid. Yep. That's stuff. That's hard. <laughs> you got another mama and papa letting go of a kid. Right. And then you got that kid and my kid and stuff. Right. A lot <gasps> of points where things can break down. Things can break down quickly. And how do you do that? And again, I love, love, love coaching should give you the tools to avoid conflict resolution. Right. Nice. Not, not avoid conflicts or avoid no. solving them, but avoid the conflict resolution because you don't have the conflict. Yes, you have some tools. You, because again, and I don't know some of the things that Liam might encounter in that environment, I have no clue. I have, I have an idea, but I don't really know until it we get there. It probably has something to do with someone taking away the remote controls of the TV set. It, or shutting down the power because they want to sleep and he's yeah. got the TV going. That, you know, again, I don't know. So how do we deal with that and how do we get Liam to deal with that? Well, it's just and, a matter of saying on. when this happens... People are going to feel this way, and it's going to maybe spin out of control. So what can you possibly do to try to, to I like where you said, step into the gap. Oh, what do you do about gap. getting into the middle of this and try to see the other person's point of view and work together to come to a resolution? Very nice. That's hard work, and it's not a natural thing because we get defensive. And especially, oh my gosh, if somebody accuses our son of doing something improper, it's really hard for parents to be objective. You but think? if you're coached ahead of time about these things will come up, it's not if they do, they will. They will. For those I'm, of yes. you who went away to college and stayed in a dorm. Right? Yeah, you stayed with your friend, and they or were your friend for you about know. one week until you moved in, <laughs> and then things didn't go very right because, you know, they did something that was Annoyed a no-no. You? Absolutely. And it just get in your craw, and it, and it got worse and worse as you milled about it. So, it's you know, it's important to have... Someone sit down and say, these things will happen. When they do, how that, are we going to resolve this? That they provide platforms yep. of communication, sustainability, and having a succession plan. Exactly. I mean, I know he said that these are business, but yeah, these can work in this kind of coaching as well. Yes, very absolutely. cool. Very cool. I mean, it's nothing more than, you know, people in in different environments. So whether it's a nonprofit organization we talked about or a business or a sports, there's still relationships. And this is where like you said, skill sets aren't necessarily fully developed in some individuals who've lived at home for 30 years. And this is going to depending test on the disability, they may not be there at all. Correct. So, how are you going to manage some of that when I don't have the ability to perceive that you're being passive aggressive because you're pissed off about something. True. (laughs) So what do you do then? 
But if you have a communication platform established... It gives you a chance to step back from the conflict and say, okay, what can we, both say, sides or right, three Right, or you sides. just say, you know, this is not going the way we thought it would, so what's going on? Exactly. Nice. And with Mark, you also get the quite sexy Scottish accent <laughs> to work with you because... <laughs> I have a tendency to listen to lyrical speech. It just, it's, uh, it's very, very, uh, I don't know, it's exotic for an American to hear. Very the Scottish wonderful. accent. Well, right? and I just, I, I love, I love the name of his, uh, the exemplary the coach. The exemplary coach. Yeah. Who doesn't want that? I want the exemplary I coach. I want to lead an exemplary life, right? Exactly. So you get the exemplary coach to do that. That's the way to do just it. Just very cool. Folks, I hope this was informative and fun and gives you a lot of things to think about. Yes, and we hope also that you will um, subscribe to our podcast so we can let you know when episodes are coming up. Share our podcast with people who oh, you please think share. might be interested. Please share. Yeah, or just share our podcast with people you think won't be interested and they might be interested. Just share it. Share it. It'll cost you nothing. You Zero. just click the little share button and send it out to your groups or your friends with uh, living with disability. And uh, uh, you could be doing them a great favor. You never know. So, uh, and also contact us. We, we would love to hear from you. We don't typically hear from people, but we want to hear your ideas. If there's something that you would like to hear us talk about, we will go out and research it and we'll get a pro and we'll talk about it and we will try to answer all of your questions. Or at least get the conversation started. Yes, we will do that. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Steve and Carrie have been your hosts. My name is Alex, and I'm the producer of Inlocky. Daniela handles all of our social media and general communications, and Holly is our website guru and mistress of the blog. Thanks for tuning into our podcast, and please like, follow, subscribe, and share our podcast to help us grow. You're the best. This has been a production of Envision Media Group, LLC.